Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Jill, pleasure to see you today. And I I guess I'll ask the first question. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. We have beautiful sunshine in sunny West Sussex. And I've been out for my daily swim and it's just a beautiful part of the world to be in. I can't complain, I'm having a lovely day, thank you. Awesome, great answer, <laughs> great answer. I'm always looking to, to ring the bell, the ah, ah, bell if someone says, I'm good, how are you? I, and no, you, you took it a level deeper and I appreciate that. And for our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure they appreciate your authenticity. And speaking of that, I'm gonna dive right in with a hard hitting question to kick us off. What's something in your life or career that has been very challenging for you and maybe you've overcome it or maybe you're still you're dealing with it, but what's something that's been hard that might help our listeners see some of the challenges you've overcome? Yeah, well, <laughs> as a catalog, I could be here all day. One that always springs to mind and probably gave me the biggest learning because whatever rubbish comes your way in life, you've got to take some learning from it. Back in the day when we started our first business, me and my husband, I was kind of on the periphery and he chose to take a business partner and they were doing very well and it was growing very rapidly and it was about 18 months in and this business partner just disappeared. Wow. What? Disappeared from the country, from no connections. This is pre-mobile phones, by the way, so we couldn't track him. Even his girlfriend who lived up the road from us didn't know where he was. And then we found out that he had been running up the debts in the name of the company. So we were about £40,000 in debt to these people. What? So (laughs) we had a choice to make. We could either go bankrupt or we could sell our house and pay off all the debts and maybe go traveling, backpacking and, and see where that got us. And bearing in mind, we were in our 20s at this point, so it was a little while ago. And I said, well, that that sounds good. Let's get rid of the debt. I don't like the idea of debt. It it worried me. So let's pay everybody off and we'll sell the house and we'll go around, you know, six months around Europe and then we'll come back and start again. Then I thought, hang on a minute. If we sold the house, when we come back, where are we going to stay? And my husband was like, that's all right. We can stay with your mum and dad. Don't think so. That's not kind of wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you going with this? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is there is there is there plan C? That that was my. What else could we do? So, or we could start carry on with the company. We rebranded, and we made arrangements with everybody we owed money to, and for the next two years, we slowly built back up and paid everybody off. And it took just over two years to do that. And at that point, we then realized that we had a car that was leased that we couldn't afford to put petrol in. We had to go around the supermarket and just, I can imagine what people are going through now, just making sure that you read every price, everything. We didn't get branded anything. We couldn't get branded coffee. It was a cheap, 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 whatever was the lowest price we got. We didn't eat quite so much. 
friends would say, why don't you come out, cheer yourself up, let's go out for dinner. We can't afford it. Oh, okay, why don't you come around, we'll have a takeaway. We can't split the bill. If you want to treat us, that's great, but we've got no money. So we literally, for two years, didn't go anywhere, and we realised the value of stuff for nothing. You know, we went for walks in the park. We mentally didn't need to buy anything because we didn't have the funds to buy anything. Every money piece of money we got went straight into the business and or to pay off the debts that we had. And, and it kind of freed us up. Imagine if advertising has no effect on you because you don't want to buy anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's freedom. Okay. We, from that point on, we no longer ever needed stuff. Anything we purchased once we were out of the, the black hole that we were in, um, it was it was we appreciated it and we probably kept it ever since. You know, we don't have a lot of stuff to our name, but also me and my husband, pre children, it was probably the closest we've ever been, and it cemented the relationship. It could have done either way, could have gone either way, but he was so worried. I, he was the provider. He had to do this. He had to. I said, look, it doesn't matter. Have, are we healthy? Yes. Have we got each other? Yes. Do we have love? Yes. Do we have good friends? Yes. We'll get through this. That's fine. And everything after that, when we were pushing our businesses and we started another business and I became a business coach, when we're pushing the, the envelope to just to see how far we could get, we always said, well, we can't go back to that time when it was that rough. It was that bad. So for me, that learning is freedom is the stuff that you don't need. Freedom is the love of the people that are around you. And we all need that. That's the important foundation for any business. So anything you want to create on top of that, obviously, be careful about who you're going to business with. You know, you, <laughs> you learn yes, as you yes. go. <laughs> but it is kind of what's important to you. Understand that groundwork that is the foundation of what you build everything else on. Once you know what's important to you, then you feel brave and you feel strong and you can you can do anything and, and get anything sorted. So. So we didn't have to sell the house, which was lovely. I love, oh God, I love the story because I, there are so many nuggets of wisdom and just the foundational way that you think about it. I mean, the, the huge nugget, freedom from stuff. Who would have thought that this, this tragedy challenge, this, this shocking place that you find out that your business partner leaves the country or just leaves, disappears, and then runs up a bunch of debt. And no one could find them. And that just continues to go up and up and up and up. And you find something positive out of that. You find a deeper connection and love with your husband from it. You find freedom from stuff. You find business, uh, a valuable business lesson to learn partnership and vetting partners. I mean, there's so many good, good lessons. And I love the way that you you started with a question when, when it came to sell the house and go backpacking. What are we going to do when we get back? I love that you asked the question, well, what else can we do? What else can we do? You know, and I think that's one of the foundations of what I would call eternal optimism is being able to ask, you know, what else can we do? You know, or how might we use this to our advantage? And I, I just, I love everything you just shared right there. Yeah. I mean, Matt, don't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy. And I didn't like having no money because uh, it does cut down choice. I, I didn't buy so much as a pair of knickers for three years but then you realize that you've got a whole wardrobe full of clothes and some people don't have any clothes at all. You know, it's like we had clothes and you don't need to buy stuff or, you know, you don't need to buy new clothes just because the fashion's changing or the season's changing. I didn't like initially not having that choice. And it was difficult being under that pressure of we have to make money, we have to make money. 
to pay people back. But it wasn't about us. It was about not letting them down. So, uh, yes, we did get grumpy. Yes, sometimes we looked at people going on fancy holidays and we were like, oh, we want to go on holiday. So it wasn't easy. But in hindsight, looking back, you know what? We had brilliant times. The stuff we did for free that we learned to do for free, where we enjoyed, you know, just those special memories now, very, very special memories that we we pulled together. And we still have years and years later we're still together and we're still doing the same thing so it's probably that big that big tapestry or that fabric that you've woven and that's part of the story that's in there forever and it seems like it makes everything stronger when you have the foundation built in this love and this trust and this us and it's not built on stuff it's built on you first not stuff first and i can relate to that because i remember growing up that we didn't have that much. I remember when I first got into business, eating hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly and ramen noodles every day for like the first couple of years. I remember very clearly. So it's good that to hear someone else share this. And certainly I can't imagine what it's like to have a business partner just take and leave. I mean, when, when you first figured this out, they first disappeared. Like what was the, the first feeling that you experienced when they're gone? And you're realizing that that's getting racked up. Like, what's the feeling that you and your husband felt in that moment? Oh, that's a really good question. I think for me, when I first found out he was gone and and he'd gone to the Philippines, and we're like, what, is he okay? That was my first thought, seriously. Is he okay? What's going on with him? Why didn't he tell us what was going on? And then when his girlfriend came along, was like, no, he's just a so-and-so, she said politely. Use your own word in there. Then I was like, right, okay. So then you kind of feel that, there's all the legalities to deal with and there's the, the business to, you know, what do we do with that? And we talk to liquidators and we talk to, you know, do we go bankrupt and all that? And it just didn't feel right. So I was like, look, let's do what feels right for us. What's the right thing for us to do? And I think now there is a different mindset around so many people. It's like, oh, I've got all this debt. I'll go bankrupt and I'll start up again. And see, people seem to think that's okay. And I just think, it hurt me then and it would hurt me now if I was owing a lot of people money. So we have started probably four or five businesses with zero funding, never had an overdraft. It's always been, we'll earn some and then we'll spend some of that. And that's the whole context of how we've lived our life. So we've never gone out and bought a fancy car on tick. We've never gone out and bought any furniture, you know, that we can't afford to pay for. So we save up. And then we spend the money, you know, rather than the world that we're living in at the moment, that you need to have a credit score in order to be able to get a mortgage. So they want you to be in debt a little bit before you can actually go and get in debt bigger. It doesn't make sense to me. So when you frame it that way, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) (laughs) But if you remember, my, my background is my dad was a docker in the 60s, always on strike. So money was always hand to mouth. So we were taught very young that you don't buy anything you can't afford by pain of death. They, you know, my mother would have a pink fit if we'd gone out and bought something that we hadn't actually paid for. What do you mean you've got it on, you know, on the tick, as the expression was? It's like, no, you couldn't do that. So they never had a TV originally until they could pay for one. They didn't have a fridge until they could pay for one. Telephone, oh, my goodness, it took years to get a telephone. So, yeah, it's interesting how that is still within my core of who I am and how I live my life. It makes me wonder when someone, and I'll just, I don't know if this is the right word, but let's just say that if someone wrongs you, if that's the word, maybe that's not even the word, but if someone wrongs you, let's take this business partner, this person from years and years and years ago. 
when that person's name comes up right now, what, and you don't need to say their name, but when, when they, when you think about them now, is there any emotion attached to it? Or is there any thought that you might have attached to this person now? No, even then, I mean, I was sad and I was disappointed, I think, more than anything. I was never angry or wanted to kind of find them and, you know, get my vengeance. And now there's no, there's no, it's just, it's what happened. It's, it's a learning curve. We shouldn't have got involved with them possibly, but we did. And there's so many things happening in the meantime that we got involved with that seemed like a good idea at the time. Maybe it was at the time, but you know, you, it, it, there's, I'm t- I've always said to people, I'm too lazy to get worked up about things and get upset because it's only damaging me. They don't care whether I'm upset about it or not. So somebody said to me once when they hadn't emailed me at the right time, oh, Joe, I'm so sorry. Please don't take offense. I didn't mean to upset you. And I'm like, I'm, I, I wouldn't even take a gate, let alone offense. I just, it's not in me. You couldn't email, whatever. Please do it next time. Okay, let's carry on. I, I haven't got the energy to let, spare energy for any of that stuff it's gone it's history it's past it's amazing that you you had that perspective there was a time in my life i remember one person that i would say wronged me back in 2001 and i carried this anger inside for the time that i saw them again i'm not going to kill anyone or do anything like that because that would damage the future i certainly wanted to punch them or i don't even know what i would do but i had anger and it it settled in for a while and Eventually, I was able to learn that it's not helping me. Vengeance is not going to make this go away. So I learned to accept it and just let it go. And I feel that you had that at a young age. You had that ability just to let that go and learn from it. So I applaud you for that because that took me a while to learn that. It took me a long time to learn that. <laughs> have, you, have you heard Hal Elrod, the, uh, the guy that does the Miracle Morning? Good, have good you heard friend of mine. Story, yeah, but... love him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> His story is the same, isn't it? He had that accident. He was in hospital and everyone was thinking that he should be upset about the fact that he wasn't going to walk again, as the doctors were telling him, although he did. And he's like, well, I've thought about it and I'm, I'm OK. I moved on, you know, and he was just, and I'm like, why would you spend time being upset about it? And I know it's a different mindset when you're in that space and you're in bed and things aren't functioning in your body. But I, I applaud him for how he looked after himself in that space. It's like you've got to curate what's going on up here and here and make sure that it's benefiting you. Yeah, I think I, – did I learn this from Hal? I don't know if I learned this from Hal. Certainly, I've, as I as I know him and I've spoken with him, and he's talked about this, this idea that acceptance – of the things that are and and learn to love. I mean, learn to, to love that person and care for them, even if they have potentially what you might call harmed you or wronged you. It's not going to help you by, by holding on to it. And I, I think it took me into my early 40s to, to really learn to let go of all that. And since that happened, the inner peace has just prospered by being able to let go of some of those things. You've exemplified that today. So thank you for sharing that part of the story. Yeah. Well... So I wonder now, I've asked you something hard. I'd love to ask you something that is really going to you know, bring the energy out and the, and the love out. And we've already done that, but I, I'd want to turn it over to you and ask you, what is it that you're creating in the world now, Jill, that inspires you and gives you energy in life? Yes. I look at the world and I see that it's not quite functioning as it could. There's wonderful parts of the world and there are parts that are just like people being angry with each other. And as a child, I would always be the peacemaker and want people to get on. So 
it's like, what can you do? If you feel so on your own, you're like, oh, I'm just one person. You know, if I, I want to sort climate change out, but what can I do? I can recycle. Yes, all right, I do that. And it's like, what else is going on? I want to sort the war out in Ukraine. I want to, you know, it's like, well, you can't do it on your own, Jill. Come on. It's like, but I'm an optimist. And people call me, I'm naive. Don't, don't be so naive, Jill. And I'm like, well, why, why not? And they look at me like, oh, you're such a Pollyanna. And I'm like, you know the story of Pollyanna, right, where she was this eternal optimist? And I'm like, why not? Why can't somebody be an optimist? And I just said, why can't you just love each other? We're all on this planet. Why can't we just love each other? That is a huge statement. So what I kind of like, what I need to do is like, how can we get on together and understand that we are here to serve each other? So I've created a community around collaboration, not the collaboration in the business world where it's transactional. And, you know, if, if we did a deal together, you might get 60%, I'll get 40%, or maybe I'll get a bit more. I don't know, but we'll, it's all about the money. <clears throat> when you collaborate, when you collaborate from a place of kindness and compassion and the question that you ask each other in a business environment was how can I help you rather than what's in it for me, all of a sudden it kind of turns on its head what's possible in the world. So having a community around collaboration, the being of collaboration rather than the doing of collaboration, and if the foundation of that collaboration is love, which I believe is our superpower, and we focus on human being first rather than our differences. We, we celebrate our differences rather than see them as a reason to keep us separate. We all have a wealth of knowledge and information because of the religion we practice or the, where we've come from or our sexuality or our gender or all of these things. Are these amazing things, when you bring them together in a collaboration, can actually spark something wonderful. So if you then levitate that to the global place, what could be altered in our world if the collaboration is founded on love? What could be achieved along those lines? Now, that all seems very airy-fairy, doesn't it? But as individuals, when we come together, we're going to share our knowledge and our experience, so our businesses will benefit. When we come together to collaborate and we think and we have the mindset of how can I pay this collaboration forward? What I've just learned, I want to share with more people. I can help this community. I can help this charity. I can support this society. That's ripples on the pond starting to go out. So I'm passionate about bringing really good people together, connecting them up with each other when I say, look, the three of you could do something brilliant together. And then when they affiliate that with other people to make it a bigger project, or they connect it to a charity that then earns from the results that they have achieved. Now, they earn as well. You know, collaboration is going to bring money your way. But it's also, well, what are you going to do with that money? Some for you, some for me, some left over. Hey, look, what should we do with that? Who are we going to share it with? Who are we going to support? Who are we going to help? So ultimately, for me, the community is coming together so that we share what we have and then for people that come, so for example, if you were to come to me and say, hey, there's this charity that wants to do some work with me, but I've done my pro bono work this year and I don't know, and it's going to cost £10,000. If we had the funds, we would go, hey, there you go, there's ten grand. Knock yourself out, go and do some good. Where at the moment, if you were in that position, you'd have to go and apply for a grant or go and get some new finance somewhere or a GoFundMe project, and all of a sudden it gets more and more complicated. If you're living under a culture of love and connection and a sense of abundance, 
the kind of things I've just been talking about where you're there's no right or wrong there's just let's talk together and support and help each other then bit by bit by bit step by step by step we can change and transform the world that we live in for one person for the whole world who knows and amen I I love all of this and I think the question that comes to mind to me is if someone were to come to a collaboration global event or activity or, or gathering of some kind, if they were to come there, then how might you instruct them or encourage them to show up? Because part of it is showing up, it would seem like with an open mind or, or showing up in some way. I mean, how might we invite them to show up so that they are open to collaborating like this? We have the ongoing culture. We're teaching everybody at every meeting. So we talk about the mindset and the heart set and we talk about the behaviors. So things like a mindset for collaboration is having a sense of adventure, trying new things out, being curious, being creative, having a sense of fun. I don't know about you, Matt, but if I'm not enjoying it, I'm not having fun. It's like, why are we doing this again? What's the exactly. point of this? So, you know, it's only one time you're on this planet. You've got to make the most of it. All of those kind of things, and there's about a dozen of them that we kind of work on. And what a sense of fun means to me could be different to you. So we have discussions around, well, what does that mean? You know, does it mean that you're going to play a practical joke? And I'm like, well, for me, I'm not fun. That's not fun for me. So I'm not going to, I'm out, but, you know, knock yourself out if that's your thing. So, and having a generosity of spirit as opposed to a spirit of generosity. So it's learning how to listen carefully to people, learning how to, have respect for them. The behaviors that we come to is that we realize that if somebody's on stage talking, we give them the respect of listening carefully. Now, you and I might go, oh, I've heard that stuff before. I, I just, I, I'm going to just do a couple of emails while they're talking. That's okay because I've got stuff to do. Now, hang on a minute. They're saying it for the first time and the context that you're sitting here for the very first time, that you have to listen and be respectful of the preparation and the thought that went into what they were saying. So it's ongoing learning from each other and respecting each other and finding out this is a good way to live because then it spills out into your everyday life. So in the past, if maybe somebody said something and you've got triggered, rather than go, oh, that's not very nice. Why did you say that to me? Whoa, 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 hang on. What about that upset might be with me? Why did I get triggered like that? That's strange. I don't think they said that particular thing to upset me. So maybe they can help me understand why I got upset. So there's a lot of personal development goes on for us to understand who the hell we are and why we're here. And once you learn that, and we all know that we're here for each other and not for ourselves, then you build on that. And and it starts to become very magical after a while. It's interesting to me that the magic can happen with an open heart and with a curious mind, with a a generosity of spirit, when we ask the question, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Why is that important to you? Just asking some, some what questions or why questions. I'm not doing that because I'm trying to win an argument. I'm not doing that because I want to prove you're wrong. I genuinely want to listen actively and just be present and, and experience whatever it is you're experiencing and be able to collaborate around it and come to understanding it. And that, that's what I feel. That's why for our listeners out there, that's why I'm a part of this community. I'm going to the event in July. So excited about that. I love everything you're sharing. I want to go back to this for a sec. You, you talked about how we get together and we connect in a way that it's giving in some sort of way. It's, it's not just for commerce and business. We connect with this, this generosity of spirit 
Now, can you talk a little bit about what do you mean by generosity of spirit? Yeah, please rant on that for a minute, please. Okay, so an example, and there's many, many examples, but this is a lovely one where one of our members, so when we used to meet face-to-face pre-pandemic, the conversation went on and we couldn't get rid of people. They wouldn't go home. So we'd end up going to the pub or, or a restaurant or something and carry on the conversation. And one guy said to me, love what you're doing, but I'm in recovery. I'm going to AA every month. I can't come to the bar. It's just too much for me. And I'm like, that's fine. Brilliant. Good luck in AA. About a month later, he rang me up. He said, I've got to admit that I've been a functioning alcoholic for all of my adult life. He was in his 50s at this point. So from the age of about 16, he'd been an alcoholic and he'd been to AA more times than he could remember. And it would work for about six months. And then he would start the whole process all over again. And I said, do you want some help and support around this? And he said, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know if AA can't help me. What else is there? So I said, you've got a community and people love you. And from there, he had a little bit of coaching. He had a little bit of support. We suggested a a particular course he could go on. People went on the course at the end of the course with him to support him. And then he went into the further section of the course and some of us went and supported him there. And to my knowledge now, I haven't spoken to him for about six months, but to my knowledge, he, five years later, is still sober. So I knew that at least four years, he's definitely been sober. So by the time I speak to him again, I I have no reason to disbelieve that he's not going to be sober for the rest of his life. That wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been kind and loving and compassionate enough to actually put our nose out of joint and go, can we give you a hand? (laughs) Do you want some help? I was blessed that he came to me to tell me he didn't have to. He could have just disappeared. But he knew that this was a loving space. And he was desperate to find a way out of this. Very successful businessman, but he knew he couldn't carry on doing what he was doing. And to see him flourish, he lost the weight, he looked stronger, he was so happy, his family got involved in his recovery. It was just beautiful to, to see. And we helped him in his business as well. So he came to us with his business thinking, I'm joining this networking group. Not realizing that actually it was going to transform his life. Yeah. I, what I find amazing about this is kind of going back to the idea of Pollyanna, this eternal optimist to someone who's Pollyanna and they're, they're sunny, they're bright, they're energy. They, maybe there's this context of soft or things just don't get done or naivety that, that people have around it. And that's not it at all. The other side of that, that you may not see if, if you niche someone into Pollyanna that you might call an eternal optimist is that you miss that this foundation of love and of a support system and being able to have that, that person or people to rely on, lean on, that is the, the collaboration portion of an eternal optimism that really gives us energy and fuels us. And it's not just soft, wishy-washy, fluffy thinking. It's what happens when you empower people in, in a group where you genuinely care and show love. That's what I'm interpreting and feeling. And can you imagine, Matt, if the world that we live in, people are too scared to show their emotions or to show their feelings or or to ask for help and support? Because normally you go to any event or any meeting, and if it's business orientated, it's like, hey, how are you? And it's like, I'm okay, I'm fine. You put on this face, don't you? It's like, everything's fine, everything's okay. And then you know, you find the reality out later. It's like, oh no, I've had the worst year ever at business. And, and there, there's this 
fear, the paradigm that people are living in is fear, scarcity, and competition. It's like the competition bit is like, oh, I can't talk to him over there. He might steal my clients. The scarcity bit is, oh, I don't want them to get an idea of what my IP is because they might use it and then then I'll have nothing to, to show for it. And it's the fear of I need to put food on the table and I need to put a roof over my head because everything feels like there isn't enough to go around. Where in reality, in the world that we live in, we shouldn't have poverty because there's plenty to go around. We shouldn't have a hunger because there are mountains of food that are just going to waste. You know, all of these things. We shouldn't have homeless people. There are places sitting empty around the world. The distribution is the problem. And I think collaboration, because if you bring clever people together, the solutions are already there. We just have to come together in love to find them. And at the moment, I think there are too many people with vested interests in what's in it for me rather than how can I help you. And that's where we want to change that paradigm from fear, scarcity and competition to love and connection and abundance. And if we could spread that that culture then I think the world would be a different place. And do you know what? I think 90% of it is like that. But the world we live in, the news, the social media, Twitter, whatever, would have you think that we've all gone crazy and, you know, life is just, as I said, hell in a handcart. You know, it just wouldn't, it feels like everyone is scared of something. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's all clickbait that, that gets you to, you know, pay attention to it. And if you pay attention to it, then that is your reality and let it in. And now it's what you think yeah, about all the and time. And yeah, just a circle and a spiral goes down. Yeah. You you hit on something that I used to have a real, maybe I can say this out loud, a fear or a block of some kind around the idea of I'm in competition with said person over here and if i show emotion in some way as a strong masculine man if i show emotion then that that shows weakness that shows maybe even cowardice it shows something that i don't want it to show and i lived in that paradigm for a long 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 time and yeah now i've come to realize that that openness and that transparency from a place of if I share my experience, maybe that can help you in some way. Maybe it can help other people get through their stuff in some way. Now I don't see it as scarcity and I got to keep all these prospects for myself and I can't let you into any of my trade secrets. Now it's like, here, have it all. Here's all my best stuff. It's for free. You can have it because people need that. Or if it's available, why not offer something that can serve people rather than just let them get served by the social media that's ongoing and the news that's ongoing, which is why we're having this podcast right now is to offer something <laughs> that's a different place they can go rather than the regular news. You know, this is an invitation to our community to collaborate. Well, one, to collaborate with Jill at Collaboration Global, which we're going to have in the show notes, the links to everywhere we can go. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation to show up to the party and be open and be abundant. If, if I wanted to be a abundant in the way, how would you define living in abundance and how might I take a step to get there if I'm not there, Jill? What a good question. What a good question. It is, well, we talk about heart set for a lot and it is kind of a heart set. And sometimes it takes a little, a little while to get there because I think people have to go through some personal development to understand that you peel the layers of the onion and the stuff that's making you hold things tight to you, usually pain and upset, you can, you're allowed to let it go. And once you learn how to let it go, you can see that there is enough out there for everybody. 
So once you have this like, I don't have to be fearful of this guy over here or that girl over there, because if I help them, they're going to eventually, even if they don't help me directly, the karma will come around, go around. And I'm, I've got a strong belief in putting stuff out to the universe and it comes back, you know, the good stuff comes back to you. Now, if you're thinking negative thoughts, if you're thinking you know, angry things about somebody else, then you're generating this and vibrating this energy that is going to be kind of attracting more anger and hate and upset. And you'll find yourself looking at Twitter and you're finding yourself stabbing the keys to go, yes, I agree. That's terrible. That's disgusting. Whoa. Why don't you engulf yourself in lovely things, some positive stuff like being the Eternal Optimist podcast, you know, all of those lovely, positive, empowering things leaves you in a different energy in a different space. So when you're talking to somebody about business, it's like, hey, I do this and I do this. And oh, if you want this freebie over here and you can download my book over there, I'm like, oh, wow, what a nice person. But then they come to you anyway because they like you. People only buy from people that they like. And they've already had a taster of what your knowledge is and what your experience is. So why wouldn't they want to work with you? And having all of your knowledge and information in one space doesn't mean they don't come to you because people can't do stuff on their own. They, no one wants to be in business on their own because you, you want that human contact. It's driven into us that we need to be with other people. So this sense of abundance is a journey. And once you have it, it releases you from being upset when somebody says something untoward. Because actually, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to get upset because they didn't, if they meant it, then there's something going on with them and I can help them possibly. So if they were trying to upset me, then it's not going to work. <laughs> but I can free myself of that pressure. And by living in abundance, I just welcome everything that comes to me. What happens in your mind if someone were to insult you in a LinkedIn post or a social media post, you put something positive in the world and they say something very it's hurtful or insulting? What happens in your mind? What what do you make a statement? Do you ask a question? Like, just help me understand how you think when, when you're challenged I kind of or make insulted. An assumption. I kind of make the assumption that there's something going on in their world and they're very angry and they need some help. It isn't aimed at me. It's aimed at probably everything out there that's going on that's upset them because maybe they're in going through a difficult time. And if you're hurting yourself, that's the reaction that and something happens over here and they disagree with it. So they've got to have a go back not thinking that actually you're creating another impact. They're creating an impact to some. Every thought, every action creates a reaction. So if they're angry at something for them that's happened to them and they are creating hurt for another person, then they need some support and some help. It's like a bully. If you've got a bully in a school, they've already been bullied themselves. That's right. Yeah, I love everything you just said, and I did not used to think that way. And now, after a lot of soul searching and work on inner peace with the values of curiosity and gratitude and a little bit of self-compassion towards me and others, you know, after those cocktail I've been drinking for the last few years now, now I want to say that it's similar the way I think when, when I get insulted or someone cuts you off in traffic or someone pays an invoice late or you know you don't exactly agree with your spouse or the kids are going nuts or anything that might trigger you or, or challenge you now it's in the lens of you know what are they going through is there a way i can show up and serve them right now now not to the point of being taken advantage of and hey come on over here i'm just going to give money to charity everyone that, that asked for it. it's not not to that extreme but internally it's 
it's one of, of genuinely caring for others and thinking through their lens rather than and, and then you're not taking on the pain you're not to, so it's it's self-preservation to a certain extent you're the one not having to be hurt because you're looking at them going oh oh why did you do that that's a shame what can i do to help and it really so many many years ago i used to work for local government in the housing department and people would come in the east end of london so poor poor area and they would come desperate desperate to get uh, accommodation, one bedroom flat, studio, whatever. And they were ready to have an argument with someone. They didn't care who it was, that you were the council, you were the housing department, so you're going to get it in the neck. And they would come to me, and I was like 18, 19, and they would rip into me. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. I really, I'm, I'm, and I just listened. And then they'd get it out of their system, and then they'd be like, I'm not having to go at you, love. I, I just I just needed to, that's fine. Let's see what I can do. I'll see if I can go and find out anything that might help. And they would go away as happy as Larry because somebody heard them. And they wanted to slit my throat like two minutes before. And I learned very early on that the power of listening can, can change the world. So when you think about, when I talk about Ukraine and the war, nobody's listening to Putin, are they? But if somebody were to sit down and just hear him and let him be her because he's fighting everything going on mo- mentally, emotionally. He's a human being, the same as everybody else. Maybe if he was heard, not necessarily agreed with, but heard, it might soften the situation. That's a wild dream, I know. But it, this is the thing when you look at politics and all the other things as well, everyone's you're wrong, I'm right. Really, let's, let's change that up a little bit and see what comes, comes from it. Yeah, that that could lead down what could be a very interesting conversation around who's right, who's wrong. I don't know who's right or who's wrong, but certainly I do know that the narrative that I might hear over on the social media algorithm that comes my way is everything that's very pro-positive Ukraine and everything Putin is very evil. I, I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is the picture that you may hear in the media. What I do know is that if I ask my own questions, it... If you think about what maybe possibly happen, if Ukraine does join NATO, for example, that might mean in the eyes of Putin that, you know, what could be considered their biggest enemy, if you call the USA an enemy, it could be they now have the ability to put a base right there on the border close to Moscow that they don't have right now. So that could mean something that, and I don't think that we hear that perspective over here in the USA, that that could be why he's doing it. I don't think anyone would listen to him if he did, because they just were not trained to, to listen. We're trained to react. Yeah. It was, okay, so it's something else that might come up. And I've been wanting to talk to you about AI and the use of AI nowadays in, in business and everyday life and social media. First, let's just start that. Let's have a conversation for a few minutes about AI. You know, So when I say artificial intelligence or AI, what comes up for you, Jill? Let's just start the conversation with what's, what's your thought about it? Yeah. So on an everyday level in the business world, it's hurrah. It's going to save me some time. It's not a a replacement for the human. It's not it's not nuanced yet. Potentially, it's going to grow that way. It's going to grow a sense of humor. It's already learned how to lie. We know that. So it's already taking some of our bad traits and replicating them. And I think most people are looking at it as a very basic 
Do you remember the time before computers and now we've got computers and everyone was worried before computers and now we've got computers? It's a, it's a bit more worrying than that because of this ability to teach itself things about us and we don't know where that potential is going to lead. I don't know if you saw that statement that the scientists and people put out yesterday about to, to the leaders of the world. Did you see that in your news? Please tell me, tell me more. So people that are creating AI have worked out that it's kind of infinite. And they are saying, just as we did with the hydrogen bomb, the leaders of the world have to get together and create some guidelines of how it will be used in the future. We can't wait for the, oops, it can do that. Oh, my goodness. We have to create some guidelines going forward. And, of course, some people are painting horrific pictures of what could happen if it is let loose. And they're not they're not wrong. You know, if it is let loose, that, that could happen. And we can't say in the next generation because change is happening so fast these days. But we have to remember the people that will take advantage of that are in the minority and the rest of us need to be in control of how we use it and only put in things, input into it, that's going to be useful. So understanding that if we put ourselves into chat GPT and it scours everything about us, it's got information about us that it can then regurgitate out as well. So there's lots of little security things that we should be made aware of that we can be, you know, be careful going forward. I spoke to a professor from, I can't remember, Bristol University, I want to say, don't quote me on that, sorry, a professor at a university who showed us a video of two guys sitting on a sofa and the conversation was a bit stilted at the beginning and then the camera moves around and you see the back end of one of them, the head is just nothing there. It's like a computer. It's an AI. So this guy wow. is just sitting on the couch and he's animated and his face, you look at it again and go, oh, yeah, because he's got a beard and a lot of hair, you don't notice that he's an animatronic kind of character. And the guy talking to him is saying things like, oh, I realize now the conversation is getting easier. Do you know jokes? And the, guy, and the, the AI is going, I haven't got many jokes, but I have had a few. I can tell you one if you like. And as he's talking, it is stilted. But two or three minutes in, very, very quickly, he's, you couldn't tell. If you weren't looking at them, you couldn't wow. tell the conversation. That was 12 years ago. That <sighs> video was made 12 years ago. So we think what we're seeing is chat GPT and it's going to help you put out some blogs. That's the thin end of the wedge of what's capable. In Japan, they've already got receptionists in hotels. They've got carers in old people homes, all of the, you know, that are going around doing the work. So it can be really, really scary, but I think we have to make ourselves aware. I think we have to connect in a culture that is based on love so that we can support each other in the new things that come forward. And I think we need to not scaremonger because that then, again, is that downward spiral of negativity. Yeah, that scaremongering thing really concerns me because I think that's so prevalent everywhere, especially in the news. If any news people are listening out there, then you know, one thing that I don't like about the news and the reason I haven't watched it in literally decades, don't watch any of the news except for Election Day in the U.S. That's the only time I watch the news, I would say, because <laughs> that's that's a, a, a poop show in itself. It's fun to watch. But the, the scaremongering part is that we may not get a real sense of reality if all you see is the negative stuff. 
So when you say AI, we start the discussion on that, that I am aligned with your first statements that I use it. I use a dozen or so AI-powered applications to help me scale, monetize, grow my business and get back time that can spend with the family and profit from, right? So I'm, I'm using it for that. And at the same time, I'd like to potentially use it to bring to the world what I mean, I'm just now coming up to this on the top of my head, but what if there were a news network that were trained in AI and it were all positive stories? There were all stories that gave inspiration or hope to the world with the other side of it being, I think it was about 15 or 20 years ago, Will Smith, US actor, came out that movie, I, Robot, based on that famous book of that, I forget who it was who wrote the book, but that, that particular movie is the scary side of it. What happens if the machines take over? Or like in Terminator 2, which came out when I was 13 years old. It was the first R-rated movie I snuck into. You know, I I, I think that could be the scary or the, the scaremonger part of it. So I do hope somebody is, is watching that. And I'm certainly open to the discussion around it. I like that we're having a conversation around things built on a foundation of love. I like and appreciate that we're having a conversation around abundance and how we move from fear and scarcity and competition to abundance. There's plenty for all. I like the conversation of what does it mean? Why is that important to you? And asking questions as the offense to get to know and connect with people rather than to put them on the defense and exploit or manipulate or take advantage or win. Oh, genuinely come to the conversation, actively listening so we can connect. And I think you've laid that out nicely for us today. What is the place that we might find out more about Collaboration Global, Jill? If you have websites and social media, we'd love to hear those so we can go ahead and follow you and connect with you. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, collaborationglobal.org. That's the website. And from there, you can get hold of our YouTube channel, which is Collaboration Global, and our podcast, Being Human Hidden Depths, which is fun. And... All the, oh, an online publication called The Quest that our members write for, which is has a different theme every issue, and that's on issue. But again, go to the website and you can find it all there. And you can also book to come to one of our meetings and meet our members, come to the July session, then you'll see Matt there as well. That's right. <laughs> and we're always, it's the last Tuesday of the month, and it's three till five British summertime at the moment. So depending on where you are in the world, just check out three till five BST find out what your time is as well. We've got members who are in Malaysia, America, Canada, Brazil, Spain, lots of Europe, and mostly UK. But yeah, it's good fun. We have great discussions. And so the one we've just been talking about is how radical we can be with AI. So that's literally just gone up on the YouTube channel with a guy called Greg Moyer, who's fascinating. And I freaked him out by saying you can only talk for 20 minutes because he wanted he could have talked for three hours. Yes. <laughs> so, so we had a great discussion around that one. Well, I, can you please repeat the name of the podcast? I didn't capture that. It's Being Human, Hidden Depths by Collaboration Global. Wow. And if I tune into the podcast right now, what might be something I would gain from that if I listened to one of the episodes? Well, the, the philosophy is that many, many people just think, I'm nothing special. I'm, I just work hard and I'm, I'm good at this bit, but I'm nothing special. Where in reality, when you start having a conversation with them, Everyone is extraordinary. Everyone has this inner depth to them that just needs to be unpacked. And quite often the person doesn't even realize it for themselves. And I love finding that gold that's in there and helping people to see that, oh, 
they're really special. But I do that as well. That's really interesting because I hadn't thought of it like that. So it's just letting people that are listening know that, you know what, you're special as well. So this is a great way for us to highlight our members. And every so often we have somebody out of the blue as a special guest on there. Maybe we'll get you on, Matt. That would be fun. And I can reverse the tables and have a conversation with you. That'd be super fun. Love to do it. (laughs) It's just finding these extraordinary people that have so much to give and it's just showing off really about them. But each one, it might be personal development, it might be business development. You'll learn so much stuff along the way. The latest one coming out in a couple of weeks is about a lady talking about masterminds. And I learned, I thought I knew about masterminds, but I learned so much just having this conversation from her. She's amazing. (laughs) Well, you're talking to a mastermind junkie here. So I'm definitely gonna be listening to that episode for sure. (laughs) So love that. I'm curious, as we start to kind of wrap up our discussion, I'm curious if if I said the words eternal optimism to you, which we've talked about a number of times so far today, what is eternal optimism? What does that mean to you, Jill? It's a way of being. It's who I am. I don't know how to turn it off. I don't ever want to turn it off. I think everything has a silver lining. My nan, who died at the age of 96, used to say to us, you know, no matter how tough life gets, there is always a silver lining in that cloud. He says, sometimes you have to look really hard for it, but it's always there. And I kind of live by that. So no matter what rubbish is going on around me, I'm looking for the gold that I can find and take that learning and, and build on it and grow from it. So why would you not be an eternal optimist? Yes, there are things wrong in our world. Yes, there are people that rub you up the wrong way. But we've all got a space. We've all got our space here. And aren't we blessed to be here at this time with everything that's going on, all the wonderful things that are going on, the sun shining, the sky is blue, the leaves are green, flowers are beautiful, people are blessing my space every day. I feel grateful to be part of Collaboration Global, but like people like you as well that are spreading the good news about being optimistic. What's the opposite? What, why would you not be optimistic? It, it seems crazy. I'm totally with you in the idea. Why would you not be optimistic? Okay, get ready, rabbit hole. I'm going to try to keep this short. When someone <laughs> says that, well, you're, you're an optimist, you're not a realist. I would say this. I would say that when optimism meets realism and they are the same, that's when someone has reached a level of enlightenment when they can see that optimism is the way to see and create something in the world. First, you have to see it in your mind's eye. And if you're always on defense, you're always like the worst thing that could happen. Yes, as humans, we have to learn how to make fire, stay in caves and stay away from dinosaurs and all that back in the day. Yeah, I get that. And as an optimist, which I consider to be a realist, it doesn't serve us in any way to always live that that the worst possible outcome is going to happen or live as a victim. I'm aware that hard stuff could happen. I'm also aware and prepared that if and when it does, I am going to show up and do my very best to model for my kids, my family, my clients, the people I care about. This is how I'm going to choose to act right now when all this hard stuff's happening. And as an eternal optimist, we take the good, we love it. We take the bad or whatever you call bad. We love it because we're learning from it. That's what I would say. So Thank you for your answer. I would love to ask you a little bit more, a couple more questions in the lightning round here. What might be a book that has been influential, inspirational to you in, in your journey, Jill? Oh, so many, so many. <laughs> you can say a couple if you'd like to. That may be an unfair question. <laughs> I'm just looking around to see what I've got near me at the moment. I think, do you know what? 
The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, having met Stephen Covey Jr., the eighth, the eighth habit probably influenced me more. And a lot of people went, oh, I didn't really get that. That was that was for the corporate. So I went, no, that was the best bit. So, yeah, it, it just comes back to you again and again and again. And there were so many things in that, that, you know, sharpening the saw and all of those wonderful things that you have to do. I'm just trying to think of what I've read recently. Oh, yeah, the, another one that just blew me away was The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Basically, he did life his own way. He still became mega successful if you measure success in finance, but he did it his own way. And he used meditation and being present and following his gut instinct. And I think that's what I do a lot of the time with the people that I meet, with the where I want to go and how I want to be. And it just fits. And when, you, when you're following your heart rather than what you should do and what people tell you you should do just move those out of the way i'm not doing should and need and ought to and all of that i'm just doing what feels right oh man i love that i love you said that i love that and and those of you who are listening out on the podcast i, I love you for listening check this out on youtube because the the series of motions you just made jill is really inspiring to me all, all the stuff that all the stuff that you should do should is like a trigger word for me in my coaching practice that's the the word for the recovering perfectionist should so we gotta we yeah. gotta get that word out of there for most people so i'm glad that you you mentioned that getting should out of there yeah. And you said Michael Singer. I'm so impressed you said that because yesterday in one of the masterminds, we were talking about the untethered soul and living untethered. And, and I didn't even know that he had a, a book, a third book or another book I didn't know about. So thank you for, for talking about the Surrender I think experiment. it's an old one. I don't think it's that, that new, but I, I read it about about two years ago, I think. And you know what? Your, your pal, Hal Elrod, that was pretty cool. The Miracle Morning. Yes. Oh, changed my life. I don't don't do it anymore. I used to do it at like 5 a.m. in the morning and I did that for six months. But now I'm like, no, this is my choice. And so 6 a.m. is is better for me. But I still get my stuff done and I still do what I choose to do and not what I ought to do. And it's, yeah, I don't waste time laying in bed. But I, I love the whole concept of what he was about. That impacted me for a long time, yeah. Yeah, I love well, to plug yeah. plug Hal whenever we can. Yeah, I've been. I'd say this is this is one of my my favorite things to talk about. It is Hal and the Miracle Morning. It's one of my favorite books. I've got four versions of that book: the Miracle Morning, the original, the Miracle Morning for couples, Miracle Morning for salespeople. It's great stuff. Awesome. I'd say that uh, that's that's been monumental, and we're coming up on eight years in July twenty second this year. It'll be eight years of practicing that. Uh, my buddy Matt and his wife Jamie gave me that book eight years ago, and I didn't even meet Hal in person until. Literally, I, I, it was about four years ago in October 2019. I met him in San Diego for the first time and, and love love him and love that book. And, and I met him through the Front Row Dads, by the way. I always got to plug the Front Row Dads on the show. <laughs> Brilliant. Jill, it's love been it. lovely. I really appreciate our, our time to connect today. And I want to finish today with a quote that I would like to attribute to you. Ooh. And it came from our first conversation about a month ago. And... Maybe you can help me with this because as I'm getting ready to say it, I can't read my own writing on one of the words. <laughs> but this is it. This is this is one of the first things you'd share. We were talking about stuff, life, business, the world, and you shared that all problems have a solution. The reason we haven't implemented it is because not everyone collaborates. And that makes so much sense. And that's that's true, is that there are solutions out there. Just People need to collaborate to get there. 
It's not just the collaboration that we are used to in the Western world, which is the, you know, what's in it for me collaboration. It's the collaboration founded on love and the being of collaboration, which brings in the abundance space. So understanding those collaborations, then anything, anything is possible and everything is solvable and it stops the block. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us today, Joe. We appreciate you, love you, and uh, thanks so much. Thank you for having me.